want to say welcome to New Life Church. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, as our guest, really the only thing we ask of you today is to fill out a Connect card. And so you can find that in the seat back in front of you. If you'll just fill that out at some point uh, during the sermon, uh, you can turn it into the welcome table out front, and we've got a gift there for you. Again, thanks for being here today. We're glad to cheer. Everybody feeling good today? You good? Yeah? All right. Good. Glad to, glad to hear it. Well, we are uh, headed into week eight, I believe, of stories. All right? Everybody say amen. Amen. So uh, we've got one more week of stories. We're going to, everybody said, oh, right? So next week we'll wrap up our story series, but today we've got uh, something kind of special. We're going to talk through uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Raise your hand. You're familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Amen. Raise your hand if you knew anything about the story other than Daniel got thrown into a lion's den. Not as many hands, right? There's just not, uh, that's mostly what we remember about a story like this. And so we're going to dive into that and uh, real quick, I want to say uh, Easter is kind of along the sermon series idea. Uh, next week will be the final week of this series, and then the week after that is Easter. Everybody say, yeah, right? And so uh, we'll gather together on Easter Sunday, and, and what we're asking you to do is to grab, we've got these really neat-looking uh, invite cards that we've had for some time now on the welcome table out front. We're asking you to take four or five of those uh, this week, and then maybe if you need some more next week, you can grab some. And just kind of be intentional, but think about somebody that you would want to invite to church with you on Easter. Uh, one of the things that research shows is that people are most likely to go to church when invited by someone, and then that goes way up when they're invited on Easter Sunday, all right? Because Easter is the time of year in the Bible Belt where everybody goes to church, amen? So let's take advantage of that, find some people that aren't in church, don't go grab people from other churches, but find people that aren't in church and ask them to attend church with you on Easter Sunday, amen? We'll have a good gospel sermon prepared for them uh, and, and preach that. And then after that, we'll start a new series. Uh, we're going to head into a series on the prodigal son. So kind of gives you an idea of where we're headed over the next several weeks. Love you guys. Look forward to, to diving into that. So about stories, we've been in this series now for some time. And the goal we set out, this is what we said. We said we're going <clears> to, <throat> the purpose of this, sorry, is to see and understand how these familiar Old Testament stories fit into this big redemption narrative, this big story of your Bible. And so a lot of times when you pick up your Bible, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like there's a lot to it, and there is a lot to it. Uh, but it can also feel like it's just a bunch of individual parts that never really fit together. And that is not true. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, everything is working together to tell one big grand narrative of God's redemption of mankind through His Son. Amen. And so that's what we have been hoping to point out. And so we wanted to go back to these familiar stories. If you grew up in Sunday school or a church that did Sunday school or you grew up in church at all, you've heard these stories, but you may not understand how they fit the narrative. And so we've been trying to point that out. Um, and so let me pray for us and then we'll get rolling. Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to dwell in your house today, to come together as brothers and sisters and to uh, hear your word preached, to worship together, and to encourage one another. Father, help us to do just that now. We ask that your Holy Spirit speak to us. Let our hearts and our minds be fertile ground that we would take in your word and be able to apply it to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right. So uh, Max Licato is an author, and he tells a story of an extraordinary pitcher who never really did anything extraordinary. And so uh, I'm just going to kind of read this to you. It's, uh, 
uh, through, uh, though this guy was a veteran of 21 seasons, and only one did he win more than 20 games. He never pitched a no-hitter. He only once, in his, only once in his career did he lead the league in any category. That was in 1980 when he led the National League with a 2.21 earned run average, which is pretty good. Yet on June 21st, 1986, uh, pitcher Don Sutton, who is the gentleman I'm referring to, rubbed shoulders with true legends of baseball pitchers when he became only the 30th pitcher in baseball history to win 300 games. His own analysis of his success is worth noting. He said, I am a grinder and I am a, and I am a mechanic. I never considered myself flamboyant or exceptional, but all my life I found a way to get the job done and get it done he did. Through two decades, six presidential terms, four trades, he consistently did what pitchers are paid to do, win. With tunnel vision, he spent 21 seasons redefining greatness, and many of you have probably never even heard his name. In September 1986, that was a long time ago, Inside Sports Magazine called him the family sedan of baseball's men on the mound. That's not really a great manly term, right? But he's called the family sedan of baseball's men on the mound. He certainly boasted none of the Ferrari style of the last guy who won 30 games, which was Denny McLean, uh, who rose to stardom but faded quickly. He boasted none of the Mercedes sparkle of a Sandy Koufax. But there are other types, uh, but those types were parked in museums or junk piles long before uh, Mr. Don Sutton was. He was still on the mound getting the job done, as he says. Now, how this fits today is that the Bible has its share of family sedan type guys. It has those guys that just live a life of faithfulness before the Lord, and Daniel is certainly one of them. Rather than strive to be spectacular, he, he aspires to be faithful and, and dependable. And Daniel had been faithfully serving the Lord uh, because he saw God as faithful and wanted to be faithful in return. And so what happened was, is he's now about, at the time of Daniel and Elijah, he's now around 85 years old. And what did he have to show for it? Well, almost nothing. He, uh, his people uh, were in captivity by the people of Babylon. The people of Babylon remained unchanged. Kingdoms had come and gone. So if you read Daniel, the first six chapters are really about this, just uh, these things that God is orchestrating in this kingdom. Uh, kingdoms have come and gone. The rulers were still idolatrous, wicked, and cruel. And even God's chosen people remained in captivity despite Daniel's frequent promotions to positions of power. So you can think of, of, of being Daniel in this situation, how frustrating it might be uh, for him to have uh, this year after year, uh, maybe a new promotion or something take place, but all he ever really sees is that his people are still in captivity, and he's not able to do anything to free them like a Moses, right? He, he doesn't get that call on his life. Or he, it, not only that, but the spiritual condition of the people of Israel who were in captivity wasn't much better. They finally got a new king, Cyrus, and he allowed the people uh, to go back to their homeland, to travel back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, and most of them stayed since they were caught up in this new Babylonian lifestyle. They liked the way things were going there. They wanted to stay there. It sounds a lot like the earlier Israelites, right? Who were like, please let us go back to Egypt where captivity was fun. Uh, but those who returned to Jerusalem started rebuilding the temple. But after just a couple of years, they lose interest in this rebuilding of the temple, and they just settle down in their houses and in their own comfort. 
Uh, so what we see is that no revival sweeps through the captive nation of Israel as a result of Daniel's uh, faithfulness or his ministry. There's no national repentance in Babylon like we saw with Jonah and Nineveh uh, just last week. Uh, few people seem to learn anything from Daniel. For all his wisdom, all his integrity, and all of his faithfulness, Daniel reaped really nothing simply the jealousy of his peers, the hatred of kings, and the threat of a lion's den because of his faithfulness. But he was one of those family sedans. He's that guy who was faithful. He could be depended on. He walked in integrity. His life and his story, his biography here, is not marked with any nasty sin like we see with David or like we saw uh, towards the end of Noah's life or like we see with Adam and Eve. You don't see any of these things. You don't see great rebellion like we saw with Jonah. There's just none of that happening in Daniel. He's simply faithful to the call that God has. And so since God is faithful... What we see from Daniel is that we too must conduct ourselves faithfully, must conduct our lives in a faithful manner. We'll see um, in this chapter that, that we're called to trust that God's character is greater than our circumstance. And that's kind of my main point for you today. And the problem I think with that is, is that oftentimes our circumstance seems greater than God's character. And so what I mean by this is as a result, we'll begin to rely on uh, our own wisdom, our own ability to work, our own ability to make things happen. Uh, And so we find more faith in ourselves than we find in God. We find more faith in uh, who we are than than who God is. And so um, we end up coming up short on this. And so I think the solution is to know that God's character is greater than your circumstance. And so again, this is my main point. I'm going to say that several times today because I want you guys to understand this. And so one of the things about this statement is there's no qualifiers to it. And so what I mean by that is, is God's character is greater than your circumstance always. It's not that you have to do a few of the right things and then God's character somehow intervenes and it becomes greater than that new circumstance you created for yourself. It's not that you have to make a right decision or that by all of your wrong decisions, you've messed it up so much that now you have to retreat back to where God's character can kind of cover your circumstance. No, it's not it at all. God's character is 100% capable over your circumstance. It's more powerful than your circumstance. He is more powerful than your circumstance. And I think that's important for us to know today. I think that Daniel is a helpful example for us in this on how to live faithfully. Uh, The key is knowing God's character uh, is simply greater than your circumstance. And so a real quick thing about the rain and the storm. Uh, The roof in this place, if you're new to this place, you haven't experienced this yet, it's going to get loud, okay? If it starts to rain, it's going to get loud in here. So uh, let's try not to be distracted. I may talk louder at some point, but that's how we'll, we'll deal with it for now. Amen? All right. Back to this. One commentator says of the book of Daniel, he says, God's ultimate victory over the powers and authorities of this present evil age uh, is sure. So the wise, so he's saying this is how we should live. The wise will be faithful to the Lord in the meantime, whatever pressures are brought to bear upon them. So there's this idea here that we've seen really throughout this series that God is in control. Patricia talked about earlier that he is sovereign over everything. He's in complete control. And though the world may look chaotic, 
None of that is happening uh, against his plan, against his will, uh, if you will. And so he's, he's orchestrating things. He has complete control over things uh, in such a way that, that we're being uh, protected through those things. Amen? And so we see this in the book of Job. If you kind of question that, you're like, nah, that doesn't sound right. Read Job, right? All the things that happened to Job uh, had to come through God's hands first. Amen? He, he wasn't... Satan wasn't allowed to cause that destruction on Job without God first uh, approving. And so, uh, anyway, it's not really our sermon today. Daniel 1, sorry, Daniel 6, verse 1. Let me read some of this to you. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So here's what you need to know about Daniel. Daniel had been given a unique situation where he was able to uh, interpret visions for various kings. And so because of this, he's gained some notoriety in this pagan country. And and so uh, this gift is clearly stated early on as a gift from God, that there was a special spirit with him. He was anointed by God to be able to do these things. And so God is orchestrating these things, but it gave Daniel much favor. And so here we see uh, King Darius giving him a place of, of uh, notoriety. He's giving him some, some responsibility. Uh, and then it says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Again, God's with him, right? God's the one doing these things. This is why he gets this. Uh, but how many of you know when somebody rises to power like that, they're not even from your country, right? They believe in a different God than you believe in, and they end up over you. That doesn't sit well most of the time, right? So some guys are going to get angry, and this is what happened. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the king had even greater plans. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Again, just a testament to his wisdom, his integrity, the way he walked, his faithfulness uh, to God because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever, sorry, that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So the king is still king. He's not a believer. He's still a pagan. And so what these guys do is they come in and they just begin to stroke his ego, right? They're like, here, make this proclamation that nobody for 30 days can talk to any other ruler or king except you. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I like that. Right? I don't want these guys coming to me. This is just feeding the ego. Now, remember, he likes Daniel, but he, he doesn't serve Daniel's God, and so he doesn't even think about the repercussions of this. Let's see. Yes, here we are. All right, verse 8. Now, O king, establish this injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, and the injunction. So he does it, all right? He's like, all right, we'll give this a try. Then in verse 10, I love this. When Daniel 
knew. So it's not that this was in secret. He had to know about this. He's an official. He knows that this happens. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So this isn't a new thing, just simply out of rebellion against this new law. He's like, man, it's either my faithfulness, my integrity to continue to do what I know God it, God is faithful, so I want to be faithful to Him to continue to do these things. Or I could just not do it for 30 days, right? It's not forever. He could say, oh, God, you kind of understand this, right? I'm just not going to do this for 30 days. He doesn't, right? He's, he's not willing to sacrifice his integrity on that altar. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea. They knew where he would be, when he would be there, amen, because he was that faithful to this. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So they want to repeat it to him. They want to make sure that the king's still on board with this. Like, hey, you remember doing this, right? He says, yes. The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Again, he likes Daniel. So here's what happens. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. When the king, then when the king uh, heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. So he's like so upset with himself over this. It says he labors in his mind and in his heart, and he's trying to figure out all the way until the sun goes down how he can avoid this. Like, how can I make a new law? But he's already proclaimed that that law was intact, so he couldn't go back and revoke it. He's already said this, this is the way it is. All right? And, and so they've got him trapped. He has to stay trapped because now his integrity would be on the line. Then the next time he makes a law, people will remind him, well, hey, won't you just uh, ignore that thing or remove that thing in the wink of an eye? And so the king, when he heard these words, he labors until sundown, uh, on how to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So he's still trying. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, I like this, May your God, notice he doesn't say may my God, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So he stays up all night. He's fasting. He's trying to figure out what can we do here. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste. So he sees the sun coming up. He runs with haste to see this den of lions. As he comes near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a ton of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, that they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O oh, king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So who slept better that night, <laughs> Daniel or the king? I would say Daniel did. 
And the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. Now, this was, this was the law then. Okay? If you falsely accuse somebody, you would be killed for this. Okay? Uh, but not only you, your families would have to die also. It's a very serious matter. And, and so uh, they, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them. So there's this image of these lions who were hungry all night long, right? Catching these guys in the air. Uh, and they broke, they overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples of the nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So you almost get this image here that maybe King Darius became a believer because of this. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So again, immediately after this, the Israelites are released. But uh, So here's kind of where I want us to go with this. I know that was kind of long, but I wanted you to hear the story, like the whole story, not just that a guy was thrown into this den. And so uh, again, let me remind you, God's character is greater than your circumstance. God's character is greater than your circumstance. I think that means three things for us. I think that means three actions. Number one, it means that we are going to rely on God's grace rather than your own wisdom or work. Amen? So if, God's, if I believe that God's, grace is, or God's character is greater than my circumstance, then I should rely on God's grace above my own wisdom or work. And so we see here in this text that all the officials of the king had turned against Daniel. Though he is wise, he has integrity, he's facing the jealousy of his peers, uh, the, the arrogance of this king, he's isolated from his people, and then he's got this lion's den. Now, this story quickly reminds us to trust God due to his character and not our circumstances. And so we, we've seen across this series this, right? I kind of hinted at this earlier that God has always been gracious toward his people. He's done it in the past. He's promised to continue to do it in the future. And so Daniel, just out of faithfulness to God, he knows these stories. He's a part of the Israelite heritage. He knows what's taking place. He remembers those things. Earlier in Daniel, the, the book of Daniel, you see where uh, three young men who were with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who were also in captivity with him, were thrown into a fiery furnace, and their lives were spared. So it's, it's very similar. And Daniel was always walking with these guys. He's commanding them to pray. Let's be faithful. Let's stay uh, committed to God even in this captivity. And so uh, Daniel, just, he just fully trusts God. He's reached the end of his life, uh, towards the end of his life. And, and he's just saying, he's resolved himself to just be faithful to the Lord's command, to trust him in all things. And so uh, these are not only sufficient reasons for Daniel to serve God. These are sufficient reasons for you and I to serve God to be faithful to God. He's faithful to his people in the past, and he promises to continue to do it throughout the future. And so uh, that alone is enough. But then if we think about what God has done, he provides even more of a reason. Uh, this act of divine grace that, that demands your trust today is the sending of his very own son on your behalf. Amen? 
And, and so if God is willing to sacrifice his own son for you, uh, what more do we need to see that God is loyal to his people, that he's faithful to his people? And so here we see Daniel faced with this dilemma. If he prays, he gets eaten. But when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went and did what? He prayed, just like he always had. Maybe because he had reached the end of his life, and that's just kind of the attitude you get, right? Amen? Yeah, he's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want now. And I, I can't wait to get to that point in my life. Uh, but, and, and so maybe it's because he had reached that. But I think it's because he had been so faithful to God. He knew that God was faithful to him. He knew that even in captivity in a pagan world, he is being promoted. He's been given uh, new opportunities. He's living well. He's prospering even in this captivity. And so... Uh, here he is at the end of this. His devotion to God would only promote disaster, yet he remains prayerfully dependent on God's grace rather than his own wisdom or work. Daniel's actions remind us of Paul's instruction in Philippians 6, that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and so we don't know what he prayed. Maybe he goes and prays again for this pagan nation. It's like, Lord, do something to cause them to wake up. They continue to make these laws, and they continue to stroke their own egos. They're about themselves. Maybe he prayed something like that. Don't know. But the fact that he goes and prays to God, and he doesn't immediately run to King Darius and say, hey, I thought we were tight. I thought we were buddies, right? What have I done to you? Why in the world would you do this? Do you not realize what you're doing? He doesn't even make the attempt to do that. He just lets his faithfulness speak volumes of that. I love that. Spiritual devotion may be risky, but knowing that we are depending on the God who saved Daniel makes such risk truly wise. Now, I suspect that spiritual devotion is not as risky for us as it was for Daniel. Spiritual devotion is not as risky for us as it is for our brothers and sisters living across the world. It's just not. We're very blessed to live in a country where it's not. Amen? How we can feel attacked and we can feel what we gather here every Sunday without any fear or any worry. Amen. We retreat to our closets and we pray without any fear, without any worry. God has richly blessed us. And so spiritual devotion may not be as risky for us. Now, there may be times of where it's risky, uh, but it may not be as much. But anyway, I think that knowing the God who saved Daniel makes those risks far worth it. I think this is what Daniel saw, as he knew the God who had saved his people for so long. And so when difficult circumstances arise, I think the temptation to rely on your own wisdom or your own work rises with it, right? That like when a difficult circumstance comes, it's so easy for us. I think the knee-jerk reaction is to start depending on your wisdom and your work. Like what, are, what am I going to do to get myself out of this Thing? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to make this right? Instead of just remaining spiritually devoted to God. Now, we've talked about this before. It's a sermon for another day. But I think spiritual devotion before the circumstance leads to spiritual devotion in the circumstance. Amen? And so we want to be devoted before those things come instead of like trying to figure out how to do it when those things come. And so I think we all need to, to hear that. I think we'll choose the easy road often. 
right? We'll, we'll run and we'll try to figure things out on our own instead of remaining spiritually devoted. It's often the reason why your lives are marked by chaos, if it's marked by chaos. It's because we've chosen to trust ourselves above God, the God who is faithful to save us from those circumstances. And so uh, a while back, uh, I had read this blog by a guy, and he was talking about these different prayers you should pray. And, and one of them was this, and it just caught my attention because I, I, I have not always thought about how dependent I am upon God. But, and so this prayer that he suggested was, whatever it takes, Lord, increase my awareness of my dependence for you or on you. Increase my dependence of my awareness. Sorry, increase my awareness of my dependence on you. Totally butchered that. I hope you got something from that. All right, number two. If we believe that God's character is greater than our circumstance, then I think that means that we'll remain faithful to God rather than your fear of opposition. Remain faithful to God rather than this fear of opposition. And so as the text moved forward that we read, we see that even the king could not change the law of the Medes and the Persians and that that had entrapped Daniel. What, what could Daniel do against over, such overwhelming evil? I think he could be tempted to ask this question, like, what in the world am I going to do in this? And, and I think it's a tempting question for us to ask. Often we're tempted to believe that because it will, or because it will make no difference what I do, it does not matter then what I do. And it's just not true. I'm so guilty of this line of thinking at times. When you're faced with this situation or this opposition that just seems a bit insurmountable, it's easy for me to say, man, it's just not going to make any difference what I do, so why does it matter what I do in this? And that's not the point that Daniel makes for us. Daniel teaches us that our duty to God remains even when evil seems immovable, that devotion to God remains. We remain faithful to God in the face of overwhelming opposition because of the grace of an overpowering God. Amen? We know that in our spiritual devotion, it's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, and we touched on this Wednesday night. Uh, if you weren't here, I'll mention it again. If you were here, I'm sorry. Uh, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are caught, right? They're supposed to bow to this idol uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar has erected for himself. And they don't. They refuse to. And so they're brought before the king. He gives them another chance. They're like, no. And the way that they answer is, we know that God is capable to deliver us from this furnace. But if not, we want you to know that God is still God, essentially, that we will not bow. And I love that because it shows this courage and this boldness that whether by life or by death, I will be delivered. Amen? And so what a way to stand in front of opposition. I think James provides um, some, some good advice here. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the idea of counting a trial all joy is a bit foreign, is it not? Yeah? No? Okay, you're good at that. Awesome. <laughs> I'm not. And so when I'm faced with some kind of trial, I usually don't say, yippee, right? I'm usually not super excited about that. And so, uh, but what James is saying is, is when you, when you have a trial come, count it all joy. 
because that thing is going to produce in you something that cannot be removed, this steadfast faithfulness in God. Amen? It's going to grow you up. It's going to help you mature. It's going to help you remain steadfast even in the next opposition, even more so with the next opposition. And so it's this idea, again, being devoted before the circumstance so that we'll be devoted in the circumstance and that that will increase this steadfastness. Um, And so life is, I think the key to this is to understand that life is so much bigger than you. Now, I do not mean that rudely. I don't mean that like your parents used to tell you as a child, amen? (laughs) And like I tell my children. Now, I don't mean it in that way. What I mean is is that there's so much more going on outside of your small world that matters. And your small world matters. Amen? Amen? But God has all of that under His control, under His leading, under what He's doing, under what He's orchestrating. And and so to understand that life is so much bigger than just my life helps me to trust God is at work in my life during that thing, whatever it may be. And, And so your circumstances under God's power He'll use it always for His good, sorry, for your good and His glory. And then um, there's this quote by John Piper that I wanted to read to you. He says, God is constantly doing 10,000 things in your life at one time, and you may be aware of three of them. And I just think that's true. I think that's a testament to just the bigness of God. He's a big God. He's orchestrating things. Now, that's not a knock on you. But you're human, right? Right. You're, you're finite in your understanding and your thinking, your limit. Uh, you have limits. God is infinite and He's limitless. And, and so He sees things, He sees around corners that you don't even know the corners there yet. And He's orchestrating everything according to what's best for your life if you're called by God uh, to, to have faith in Him. So you've placed your faith in God, what we see in Romans 8 is that all things will work together for your good because you're His child, just like we see for the Israelites, just like we see for Daniel, just like we'll see as we move forward. Amen? God is always working in you. Corey Ten Boom had something similar that she said, and I really like this. She said, nothing will happen to you in this life that has not first passed through the hands of God. Amen. Amen. And so this idea of God won't give you more than you can bear, it's pretty true. But it's that we bear it under His grace, that we bear it under the understanding that God is in control, that I'm not just trying to bear it on my own. All right? God will always give us more than you can bear on your own because it throws us at the rock of ages, right? <laughs> it, it makes us long to come before His throne and to seek His help. All right, so if we believe that God's character is greater than our circumstance, then I think the third thing is that you will recognize God's glory rather than your own. This is one of the things Daniel did so well. And so what I mean by this is that we should live with this keen awareness of God's glory in all things. Throughout Daniel, throughout this series that we've been in, we see the sovereignty of God over rulers, over kingdoms, over circumstances uh, that, that, that mankind faces, whatever those things were. 
And, and do you know that that sovereignty of God has not changed? Do you? Do we live in such a way that we think that God is still in control of everything? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. I think a lot of us have put a lot of faith in Donald Trump. I think a lot of us have put a lot of faith in a political system. We put a lot of faith in AFR. We put a lot of faith in Fox News. We put a lot of faith in uh, working out. We put a lot of faith in a lot of things. A lot of things. Because we think that somehow, some way, all of that can be controlled, right? And that if we put our faith there, that that person will control it better than the person before them. I want you to know that whether or not America is here in 100 years matters not. God will still be in control. I'm not preaching against America. I'm not anti-America. Don't, don't hear that. I just want us to have a right understanding of where God sits and where this land of the free, home of the brave, should rest in our minds. Amen? God is big. His sovereignty has always been over rulers and kingdoms. And if you'll read the story of Daniel, I wish I had time to read all those first six chapters to you. And then the last six that just kind of totally blow your mind. Uh, you read it and find out. It's fun. But the first six chapters are all about God moving kings and kingdoms and powers and orchestrating these things just according to the way God wanted to do that. You see this with David. King Saul gets prideful, he gets righteous, he self-righteous. He, he starts to think that he's somebody. And God says, all right, that's the king that Israel chose. Now I'll choose my own king. And he sets up David. Removes King Saul, sets up David. This is just what God does. This is who he is. He's that big, that sovereign. And so uh, your and my life are about far more than what we perceive. And so back to this idea of our world. It's, it's not that those things don't matter. Many of these things in your life do matter, and God is interested in those things. And, and again, we're finite where God is infinite. We're, we have limits where God is limitless. And so God is far greater than we can fully know, yet He chooses to reveal Himself, or at least some of Himself, to us through His Word. And so part of trusting that God's character is greater than your circumstances, recognizing that... All things exist for God's glory because He's in control. So everything that's happening will cause glory to come to God, not you. This is why it says in the final day, how many tongues will confess? Every. How many knees will bow? Every. Do you think that means that everyone is saved? No. I think it means that they'll come to see the God who is truly in control. There will be a lot of regret, a lot of mourning on that day, a lot of sadness on that day, but the saints will be completely rejoicing on that day. We'll all come to see just how powerful God is on that day. Romans eleven thirty six. 36, Paul reminds us of this. He says, for from him and through him and to him, are some things, all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so when we're so focused on ourselves and our circumstances, 
we're in danger of seeking our own glory rather than God's glory. And so it's this idea of looking for in your circumstance, in the things you're going through, looking for how God will glorify Himself in that thing. Because He will. He can. Amen? Sometimes He glorifies Himself by removing something from you. Many times He'll glorify Himself by adding something to you. But in all things, God is glorified. This was the the praise of Job. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory be to the name of the Father. And so this doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek to be wise. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek to do a good work. It doesn't mean that we just go home and we sit like the Israelites who were supposed to be rebuilding the temple in the comfort of our homes. This is not what this means. This means that in your circumstance, you get to know that the God you serve is over that circumstance. And so we get to live faithfully. We get to do a good work because God has called us to do such a thing. God has granted us the ability to do such a thing. And so it's not the idea that God is sovereign, so we retreat, which is a dangerous ditch when you think of God's sovereignty. It's this idea that God is sovereign, So now I can boldly trust His Word. I can encourage, move on His Word. I can act on those things and know that He's in control. Amen? What a beautiful place to be. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before all mankind. Do it. Do the good work. Why? He goes on to say, so that they'll see your good works, which means there is a work, and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. They'll see your good works. They'll glorify your Father in heaven. And then in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So again, there's this idea that we're doing stuff, right? But we're doing it for God's glory. And so if I'm doing something that will not contribute to God's glory, let me stop doing that thing. Amen? If I'm doing something to promote my own glory, let me stop doing that thing. And may my prayer always be, whatever it takes, Lord, increase your glory in my life and decrease my own. That whatever it takes phrase, it's a dangerous phrase. It's hard to pray that sometimes. And so for today, let us all remember that God's character is greater than your circumstance. My hope for you is that the truth leads you to rely on God's grace It leads you to remain faithful to God over those fears, and it leads you to recognize God's glory above your own in all areas and in all circumstances of your life from now until your final breath, just like that faithful family sedan. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?